Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. I'm Michelle Haywood, and this is On Air, a podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalem people and today known as Port Townsend, Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect. We dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times, affecting change, and finding sustenance during health, climate, and social crisis. Join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity, time, and place. Thank you for being here and enjoy this episode. Greetings. Before we get started today, I want to take a moment to share my gratitude to everyone that has been involved in this podcast so far, particularly the artists and the cultural producers we've been working with who have given me so much to think about every day. And today's conversation with Susan and Kelly continues this and also exemplifies the nature of relationships and creativity and community that I think is the life force of all that we're striving to co-create with people here at Centrum and beyond. I invited Kelly Sullivan and Dr. Susan Pavel to get on Zoom together and talk a bit about their work with the Coast Salish Wool Weaving Center. Kelly and Susan were both recipients of Centrum's Northwest Heritage Residency Program, a program funded by the National Endowment for the Arts under their Our Town program. These residencies at Centrum were designed in collaboration with the Fort Warden Public Development Authority as well as an advisory team from arts organizations and practitioners from around the region. Kelly and Susan's project was aimed at tying the art form back to the land and piloting a condensed version of their two-year curriculum for the Coast Salish wool weaving through a four-part intensive workshop, which was taught exclusively to tribal members across the region. To read more about this project and our other Northwest Heritage residents, visit centrum.org and check out our residency section. You can hear the friendship and dedication to practice throughout this whole conversation as Kelly and Susan talk about the ways they came to thinking holistically about the components of gathering, spinning, dyeing, and weaving, how gifting and healing play into this work, and how they navigate traditional methods in contemporary times. They touch base on the challenges and surprises that have come about within these practices amidst a pandemic as well as the discoveries they have made in their search to tie the resources and teachings to the local communities that they're connected to. I would recommend that if you have something you can knit, weave, or busy your making mind with, that you grab those things and get comfortable and just enjoy eavesdropping in on these two friends and expert weavers as they let you into their conversation and a little bit of their world. Please enjoy.
My name is Kelly Sullivan. I'm a Port Gamble Sklalem tribal member and Coast Salish wool weaver. I'm here with my teacher, Susan Pavel. Hi, Kelly. Hi, this Susan. This is Susan Pavel. My uh, adopted Indian name is Sahlamitsa. I have been weaving for tw 24 or five years now. I think after 20, I stopped counting. Maybe that's like with age or something. Uh, and I'm married into the Skokomish tribe. I am Filipina by birth, actually adopted into a Korean family and married to a Skokomish man. Kelly came to our house in Eugene when we were living in Eugene. Uh, when was that, Kelly? I think like 2016. It was like, a, I think it was like by my birthday. Mm. I feel like it was in March or April or... Yeah, we had a class down there, and um, it was great. You came, had a nice big room where everyone could learn mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I say that because now I'm living in a house half the size with twice the amount of stuff, and <laughs> I'm not going to turn this camera around because on the other side of the camera is a bunch of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you're closer. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons we moved, actually. Um, we moved, this will be the third summer now that we've been back in, well, in Washington State since we were in Oregon for a while and we were in Idaho for a while. But really, we moved back because it was time. It was just time. It's time for the dream to start getting itself realized or the bigger dream, I suppose, which is a Coast Salish wool weaving center that we started in 2018 as a nonprofit, or got the distinction in 2018. And we expanded the board last year. And Kelly Sullivan is now one of the seven board members on our nonprofit board. And I think part of that was for us to, you know, keep fulfilling that dream and keep expanding those teachings Kelly found Centrum or someone found Kelly or I don't know, Kelly, how did we, how did Centrum come along? Or, uh, I think, well, it's, it's a really cool thing that I think I see happening with like Fort Warden and Port Townsend and it's just outreach to the tribal community that lives there and the partnerships they're trying to form or not form, but maybe build. And it was an outreach to the local tribes saying, if you have artists who are interested in this, we'd love to have you participate. So it was an all call to artists, but I guess maybe a, a preview to the local tribes who, you know, might have interest. So I have a partner and I have an interest and we have lots of people interested in weaving. You know, I think that's been one of the funnest parts is of learning, but also learning to teach and helping you teach every class is just how much it's bringing us together with other tribes. And when we're writing the grant proposals and stuff like that, and trying to justify why that tribe should fund us and things like that, it really helped kind of, um, I don't know, see how we're connected a little bit more and see that we are helping regional effort to, you know, that it's not just our own individual tribal communities, but trying to make sure that all Coast Salish people have access to the teachings and experiences that we've had. And that's been really fun. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, it's your 
idea and dream and goal is to build us as teachers but now i feel that same thing happening with myself and it's just cool to see like um develop friendships and a network of resources like we're talking about even though we're learning all aspects of coast salish weaving and spinning and gathering people are emerging as better spinners and dyers and we don't all have to be good at everything it's cool it's like we really are woven in together into these weavings because I was just explaining how neat it was that my mom's cousin sought me out because she saw my weaving on social media. And she said, oh, I'll bet you she could use my wool from my sheep. She has no Salish ancestry. She is, I've maybe met her one time mm -hmm. and through my mom's connection as a cousin, that brought us together in a so there's that, but there's also knowing exactly where the wool came from that we're going to spin up and die. And I just, I don't know. It's cool. The connections that it brought. And I constantly like, like you always say, that's what helps keep you going. And it's, it's a benefit I didn't really expect or seek whatever when I was learning to weave. So it's a cool outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a cool outcome. I you know, I think when we are doing good work and we're on the right track and answering the what I what we consider answering the call, you know, there's a there's a call out there and maybe broadly defined a call like a yearning, a spiritual call, a you just know that's your purpose in your gut. You were meant to do this work. It can be uh, spoken in different ways, but I think generally it's kind of like that, a gut feeling, you know, intuitive check, which is one of the reasons that brought us back up into the South Sound area. And so as we were, were, you know, conceptualizing the whole thing, there was a number of things that came up for me when you were talking. And one of them, because you, you're, you know, you got connected to your cousin again, or mm -hmm. not again, but maybe newly connected. Mm -hmm. You know, we had been going up to Canada to purchase wool one, because it's less expensive, <laughs> but also just because that's where the thicker wool that we were looking for, it was found and easier to get at because the Salish weavings had thicker wool used. There was two really two gauges, a, a pretty thick one. I think we would maybe call it burly spun at this point. And then a lot thinner one, more like a worsted weight or even smaller to twine with. So anyway, we would go up to Canada, but I just kept thinking, boy, I really, we, we should really try to create those relationships local, find the local, sh the people who are, are local with the sheep, with the w mills, with the spinning groups, you know, and reach out and collaborate here locally and build up our community, our fiber community. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that we're, we're doing that. And so the other thing that came to mind was social media. And as much as I, oh, what is it, a love-hate relationship with social media? Or maybe, maybe I think if I were younger, like 20-something, I think I'd be all over social media, and it would be super great, and I'd love it. But it's, it's a tool. At this point, you know, I'm past 50, and I think, okay, social media is a useful tool to get the word out. And it is, unequivocally, 100%. I see the value of it. I, I get it. I've been the recipient of positive social media. 
I've also been the recipient of negative social media. So, you know, I guess maybe that's the part I'm, it hurts my heart. My, it hurts my heart when I see too much negative stuff or anyway, that's a sidebar, but uh, social media, that's another thing mm-hmm. that came out because if people can, you know, we, while we might not talk to each other every day or update each other, and I don't mean just you and I, I mean us as a community mm-hmm. of people, mm-hmm. but when they see pictures of mountain goat wool and they're cleaning it and they're picking it and they're carting it and they're blending it with some of the native plants like fireweed fluff and cattail fluff, you know, it really sparks something in some people. And just a picture, you know, it's just amazing. It's one picture mm-hmm. and people are sparked. Like, yep. Oh, I always wondered about that. Or, or my grandma used to do that. Yeah. Totally. I have her carters. I ha- I'm going to come learn because I have a weaving to copy or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I love that part. And, you know, I think that that's probably the best we can, I don't know, vibrate with is just feeding what is good and right and letting the rest go. And, uh, you know, Uncle Bruce Miller, who is our teacher, who's passed away now from Skokomish, he would, you know, he, the, the way he taught was teach the one who wants to learn. That was it. Whoever wants to learn, you just teach that one. You don't have to go find people. They'll come to you. They'll, and that will be the right ones because they'll have what it takes to learn. They'll come already ready to want to do that kind of work. So we just keep doing it that way. And, you know, I think in 2016, when it was 20 years, okay, so I guess it's 2016. What are we, 2020 now? So it's been 24 years. <laughs> so at 2016, I thought, or we thought for sure, like, okay, it's been 20 years. I've, I, we have taught a lot. There's a good number of weavers out there now. I think I can retire. Or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I, I, but I did think, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I could maybe go do something else or something. I don't know what I thought. I just thought that maybe I could take the back seat on teaching. <laughs> or something. I don't know. But that's absolutely not the case. It's been, well, we've, been more, we, we've been more in demand. Didn't you kind of talk about the change in the type of teaching more like you did change sort of the way yeah. you, um, you were doing lots of classes and open sessions and mm-hmm. technique based mm-hmm. things. And now would you say once the curriculum started to take shape that you've drifted towards those components and that you're trying to um, be more comprehensive in the teaching or yeah. select? about your students or yeah no you're right you're right and we have talked about this and I think uh part of it was okay we realized there's a lot of people who know how to weave or relatively speaking there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who know how to set up the traditional two bar salish loom they know how to warp they know how to twill weave and they know how to twine weave um but I think it became kind of apparent that we were buying this wool ready to go and mm-hmm. that people were a little bit yearning for some traditional wool or some thicker wool or how do I make that? Or I realized, okay, well, you need to learn how to spin it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, so if you knew, 
well, then, okay, great. You know, learn how to spin. Well, then I wanted, you know, a certain color like red. Well, okay. Well, you know, besides Brit dye, how did we get red? Yeah. <laughs> and then, which then leads you back to the plants that produce the color or the animal pieces that reproduce that color or, uh, and then, okay, well then how did we get the mountain goat wool that actually, you know, so yes, that's right. Kelly, you know, we kept going back and back and then the, each step we went backwards in, so to speak, I realized there were fewer and fewer and fewer people that knew those three steps. So, you know, if we're at a place where lots of folks know how to weave, less people know how to dye. And then even less people know how to spin. And just about nobody is hiking the mountain for the mountain goat wolf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're not low-lying goats where the wool is easy to get in the, you know, the backyard hillside. You have to hike up that mountain where they live. And that's an that's a undertaking. Nor do their whole fleece come in one piece. No. You gather a cotton ball at a time. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. And actually, you know, Akia and his little group of friends went up Sunday to Mount Eleanor. And I said, okay, take your bag for me and gather the mountain goat wool. And he's like, mom, I didn't see any. Oh, no. So uh, he's like, I think their relocation program is working. Oh, Right? I know. Yeah, my well, heart was a little hurt there too. But then I thought, well, I guess to go to the Cascades now uh, yeah. and get on the trails in the Cascades. I mean, you know what? It's also It was also a group of guys who probably weren't <laughs> like, seriously on it, looking <laughs> under every little nook and cranny for it. Yeah, so I, I'd be like, mm, okay, I think I might try to. Because <laughs> I haven't gone up this year. Well, okay, so that's what I've been thinking of in relation to this conversation and just like my own life lately is like getting too busy you know like weaving really kept me on a like a schedule of sorts like especially when we had classes going it it gave me like okay this is may this is when our this class is and i better finish this because i need whatever like there's a giveaway or da 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 and as life has gotten busier in the last couple months even though it's it's just a, a different busy right so it's like it's really throwing me off that I'm not gathering like I should be mm. like the plants. I'm thinking of the fireweed that's fluffing and how I'm like, need to get out there and can't miss the season. And, Oh, I missed the, this season or, and so lately I've been feeling like, yeah, it's time to get back on a routine for that. And how much I miss the woods you know, like we've been camping and things like that, but it's not the same kind of wandering and, you know, attention to the plants. Mm -hmm. But I've been seeing yesterday, another connection type thing is um, on public or social media was an elder from Quileute posted a picture as he walked to like Second Beach. And he... Um, he posted just pictures of his walk, but it was like four polypore in the picture. No way. And, well, Dyer's, what, Dyer's polypore? From what I can tell, it looks like Dyer's polypore on his picture. So I said, wow. those look like what we like to have. And if they are, will you, will you gather them for me? Quilly, it's closed. 
to the community um, or the outside community, but he, I said, I'll make you a headband or, you know, a hat. He likes to wear hats. So I'm like, I can make, or like a cowboy hat. So I'm like, I'll weave you a, a, ha- a hat band if you gather these up and like, just let them dry out on your porch. They'll probably be fine, you know, and yeah. don't put them in a plastic bag. <laughs> like yeah, right. And he's like, okay, well, I will. But I'm like, take a picture up close for me <laughs> so I can. Right. But they have a, you know, yellow, yellow ring. And there's a couple of them that have the like head of lettuce look. Uh But the other ones are more flat, but they look the same. Like maybe they're younger. Uh So I don't know, you know, but. Yeah. Well, they are out right now. He's on the ocean though. Wow. So that's ocean, like right near, he was on the beach. It was right next to a big fir tree. Oh, yeah. So it was like right at the base of it. And then, yeah. so I was telling my friend, we need to get out into the woods because I found yeah. a couple, a couple like in the spring that were done already. They, they yeah. were black. And so I'm going back. Well, to those, those would be from last year. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I'm just going to go back to those spots and yeah. see. But yeah. It's like pulling me out there, you know? Right. Well, you know, it's, fascinating that you actually bring that one up because before this call I was out scoping around (laughs) so it turns out that in my yard just in here I've got a a couple that grow over by a fir tree on one side of the property and then just two days ago Michael's walking down the driveway to go check the mail and we were talking about it and he's like honey come here like what (laughs) he's takes and points out isn't that what you're looking for and sure enough it's right there on the just between in my yard between the post the the post the mailbox and the house where i actually saw it the first year we lived here and then didn't see it the second year and i think it's because the kids all through the you know i would have them sweep the driveway and then they would throw all the stuff up onto the sides and i think it covered it and so it didn't, I never saw it last year, but now I see it this year. So now I'm watching it every day since just a few days ago. And it, they grow very fast, by the way. Awesome. I think you yeah. know that they grow very fast. That's how I'm afraid I'm going to miss those ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you should be a little afraid because they grow so fast. <laughs> so I'm trying to harvest them a little bit sooner too, by the way, like not when they turn dark anymore, but where they still have the yellow on the outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to harvest them that time frame. So I did, I caught a couple yesterday. And uh, so they're drying outside on the newspaper. I didn't put them in a plastic bag or anything. Um, <laughs> do you cut them or do you just let them dry how they are? I noticed. I let them dry that way. Yeah, I get. I could cut them. I could. I could cut them up. Well, um, remember the one I got in Vancouver? Uh huh. Yeah. That was dried in one piece, but then it just broke apart. Like I could, pe- like break off the lobes or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this hard mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know what else I did with, uh, so to get ready for this evergreen class, we did use Dyer's polypore with cool. alum and iron so they could get, and then because we showed up for class, I did a bunch of other stuff, but in their kit <laughs> was measured out, weighed out and dried Dyer's polypore. Well, what I, as I was experimenting with that and trying to figure out the exact instructions for them to do, I just broke it up by hand and it gave, and it was, they were a little bit older, I guess, not really old. I mean, they were last year's dried out ones. But what I want you to know is that I broke it by hand and then did 
the dyeing and then I took that same mass that I had just broken by hand and poured it all into the blender. So I actually dyed up one, like not even an ounce, like half an ounce skein, but I just wasn't impressed with the color. I thought, oh, I could, I should be able to get more yellow out of this. Hmm. And so I took that and then poured it in my blender and oh. blended it up. And after I blended it, it gave me a much more vibrant yellow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely say <clears throat> use your blender. And then of and then course do you I just use cheesecloth or yeah. Well, you know, I'm using those paint strainers. Oh, so they're fine. Fine. Yeah. 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 Not total liquid. I stopped before I got to where it was so, so, so tiny little pieces that I would be too hard to get it all out. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, you know, a blender can do much, cut it up much better than I can by my own hands. Kind of thing. I need to go yard sailing for a old blender. I think. Yeah, I used my Vitamix. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, like, oh, well, whatever. I was going to use this. You know, I do all the stuff you're not supposed to do. Like, don't use your home cooking pots to die with. Don't use the utensils that you eat with to die with. And then I tell my students, don't do any of that. And then, you know, there I am in my kitchen using the spoon out of the drawer. The other day I needed tongs. And so I went out to the dye kitchen, out my outdoor dye kitchen and got the tongs from the outdoor dye kitchen and brought them in the house so that I could turn the bacon <laughs> inside the house. <laughs> uh, well, the question we can talk about is, do you want to talk about what it's been like to teach some of these processes? I think it's been cool to talk, to teach about the processes because someone might not be the greatest weaver and they feel discouraged maybe that they took a weaving class and their product didn't turn out like they thought or something. And once they start learning like, oh, but I have, I love to gather berries or I'm always in the woods or I really have always wondered about spinning or something. It really has excited people in a different way, like for their own different reasons. So it's easy to teach people who are excited to learn. So it's cool that you know, like in our curriculum breakups, you could really see when people like, oh, this is my favorite, my favorite week, or they come back with extra spun because they loved it so much they did it. You know, Roxanne is spinning during our Zoom meeting the other day for finance, and she like texted me a picture of her spindle whirl and stuff like that. But yeah, so yeah. cool. Yeah, it is cool. It is cool. I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think that until someone tries a process, you know, like spinning, the, you just don't know. You don't know if you're going to love it. You don't know. You might think you might love it. And then you try it and you really don't love it. <laughs> With the current, so the, our current situation is that we're in a pandemic. I don't know when folks are going to be listening to this, but, you know, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. And, and everybody's on Zoom and everybody's, you know, doing these things off of a screen and likewise, we've been, or at least, you know, we, I've been teaching that way. And it's a different, I think where I found more success online, which makes sense, to teach a process online to a screen or to a camera where there's no feedback. And I, I very much use the feedback of uh, students because I can read their face. I can see they're stopped. I can see... They got frustrated. I can see that 
and in fact, so I'm teaching a class at Evergreen, a, a summer course at Evergreen right now. And it is Coast Salish wool weaving, the indigenous regalia of the Salish Sea. And it's a summer course and I've got, we've got 12 students in there. And while we've created the whole thing asynchronously, so everything is on video, we've also been able to meet in person on Saturdays as an uh, option. So folks don't have to come. They can just watch the video for that Saturday. But most of them have come on Saturday. And even just this last Saturday, uh, which was the weaving class, which is the one that, you know, probably most people know how to do. One of the students, you know, she got, she got pretty frustrated and she got up and she left the room. She actually walked outside. So, you know, you can't see that when you're teaching a video, you can't see that um, because there you're on a video. I mean, if they were just watching a video, you wouldn't know that. Right. So I just went out and just sat with her for a minute and asked if everything was all right. And she said, yeah, I just need to take a break. I'm kind of frustrated. And, and it turns out it wasn't just necessarily the video that she was participating in, but it was just her own life and things that were going on for her in her life. And, you know, I think that maybe that's one of the other things. We don't know how people are being affected, affected and affected by a global pandemic and what they're having to deal with their own personal lives. So, but I also have gotten lots of feedback about how this is, been a great opportunity to immerse themselves in something other than the pandemic <laughs> because that's just exactly. so on everybody's mind and everybody's space and everybody's reality no nobody is not touched by this yeah. everybody is has been affected so well it helps you escape a lot of things <laughs> mm-hmm. leaving this mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah yeah i even for myself just the other day i was sitting there I went outside just to clean mountain goat wool and not even to use the diatomaceous earth, but just to even sit there. And so, you know, I felt so appreciative that I had this, especially because the boys didn't find any on that hike the other day. And so it made me feel like this was, that was gathered from last year. I could sit and lovingly pick out all these little, you know, debris things that were in the wool, knowing that, actually I was going to weave something or I'm weaving something for my husband. And so there's that piece of it. That's so you're so utterly connected to it because you, you know that this, this is going to go to protect someone, or this is going to go to wrap them in your love and your healing. And it has a bit, I say that every time we teach, we say that, but nonetheless, it's still, you know, when I'm that related to someone like your, my spouse, then it, I don't know, it just takes on a whole deeper meaning for me. Um, same. And I just heard, or I was just kind of chatting with another weaver who was feeling that same like need for focus. And that when you're weaving, you're focused on those things that need attention, the good things that need attention, the mm-hmm. prayerfulness and uh, mindfulness the good positive energy you're giving to someone and how you can't really shake it when you're focused on the weaving that you're, you, it forces you to be there with it. And it's just, and that's why it's a gift when you give it. Yeah. I was thinking about Roxanne and she was just talking about, Oh, her, her grandma is having trouble with her fingers or her eyes or something. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember which one, 
but she had to give her her loom like she she can't weave mm. or she can't commit to learning you know she's kind of new and she she was just saying how her grandma giving her the loom was really cool and just how she thought of like she was kind of doing it for her mm. you know and mm -hmm. uh, it was just that she's gonna finish the thing that her grandma started or something yeah I thought that was a cool, I wish I had a grandma, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it makes me think of all the connections because, you know, our projects have brought forth elders in my community that um, it's made me spend more time with in different ways. So kind of adopting some, you know, for different things. Yes. They, they um, want to be adopted, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're talking about virtual classes and your evergreen thing. And right when the pandemic started, I was just funded by the Bill Home Center to do a community workshop for a community uh, mountain goat weaving. So I keep thinking of ways to do virtual learning, mm. um, even including like bringing my phone out when I gather the fireweed and stuff like that, just mm -hmm. to try to show people in case we, since we're missing the season and we can't bring them out. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's good, you know, what do they call it? B-roll. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Uh, B-roll. That's right. They call it B-roll. <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> B-roll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do think that's a good idea. You know, and I think too, sometimes if you miss the season, mm -hmm. you miss the season. Yeah. You know, like, okay, yeah. you want, you maybe are more hungry for it next year. You uh -huh. know, like you didn't get those huckleberries because yeah. <laughs> you missed the season. And so, you know, or for whatever reason you might miss the season. Cause I think that like, I've seen the Oregon grape berries, they're kind of, they're coming to an end now. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, well, maybe you, you saw them come and there's still some pockets, like, especially mm -hmm. if, the, if they're more in the shade that are uh, available to gather, but you're like, well, okay, maybe you have enough purple or maybe that's not where yeah. your head is right now. Because uh -huh. obviously I went out this morning looking for Dyer's polypore and I was really motivated by that. You know, like I mm -hmm. went out of my way to go find that versus yeah. Yeah. the Oregon grape, which is like right around the corner here. So yeah, True. things like that. You know, the other thing with this pandemic that I've done, and I think I kind of talked to you about it, but I don't know if I like said, hey, you know, I do not fashion myself as a gardener whatsoever. I just don't. And I like houseplants. I'll water the houseplants. But if you have to, if I have to go outside and weed and put water on plants outside, like, no, <laughs> you got to let mother nature take care of that stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going through all of my old, you know, I've just been trying to inventory my whole area of stuff that I have for weaving. And found this box of dye plants and dye materials and in there was matter which is a root i think it's indigenous to the mediterranean area but matter is a really common dye plant that you can purchase online and so we had a bag of there was a bag of matter in uncle's old stash of stuff and so i started having a dye class here at the i have an outdoor studio here at our house in olympia and so I was processing that up and it, it is a beautiful red, by the way. 
And I was so taken with it that I went ahead and bought five little matter plants on the internet and they came beautifully packaged up and now they've, I planted them up, whatever that was, June or something. And they've seriously spread. And I'm just so impressed that I was willing to create a dye garden. I'd always, I wanted a dye garden, but I just didn't go the extra step to make a dye garden. And then because my kids are home because of this pandemic and one of them will run the rototiller for me. (laughs) So he, you know, I mean, like all of the the right things came together. So he rototillered me up like a little three by three foot by five foot patch over there in the sunny spot. And we planted them in and they've been going amazing. I mean, amazing. And matter takes a good three years for you before you can harvest the roots. And I think that I'm, I'm also at a place where I'm willing that I think that's the other thing that's kind of the chapter change for me is with the development of a fuller curriculum is to reach out and think about, I think maybe up to 2016, I was only willing to teach what I was taught. And at 2016, I realized there was holes in our knowledge and that we needed to fill the gaps, so to speak, with lots of things. I mean, I I can look at every piece of the curriculum and say, well, we don't know this about the weaving. I don't know what, how they did those ends on some of those robes that we saw up at MOA. I don't, I don't know how they did that. I mean, okay. Dying. There's lots of things we don't know about the dying. Like really, how did they get the Mm -hmm. red? (laughs) Because I don't think it was from these European plants Mm -hmm. because this was Mm pre-contact. And then with the spinning, you know, the spinning, I still don't know how to spin in the air, you know, there's some folks up north, farther north up like Vancouver Island, who know how to spin in the air. And then the processing, you know, how'd they get those feathers to stick in the... Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that what, what happened for me after 20 years of weaving is I was mature enough to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what this is about. I don't know how to do these things. And furthermore, can we go learn? Can we go and find out? And what has been so amazing and fun and super fantastic is that I ha- that we're in relationship with people like you, Kelly. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I can't overemphasize that. And I'm not just trying to say that because we're on some kind of on-air call <laughs> yeah. thing or whatever it is. But it has, and I was telling my husband too, it's made a huge difference to have someone as excited about learning and discovery that's propelled us all forward. And so, you know, I keep, I maintain that one plus one equals three mm-hmm. because your energy feeds my energy, my energy feeds your energy, and we just catapult forward. Mm-hmm. And it's just utterly fantastic in that way. And so, you know, it's been great to have new students because there, there's always a, there's one, two, a couple that really want to, they're hungry for more. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, you know, yeah. you can tell that they want to do something more. Even out of our, this little class right now of 12 people, there's a couple that really want to do some special projects. Mm-hmm. And I love that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love that. You know, I gave Hannah, um, did Hannah tell you? No. I gave, you know, that little book you bought me, the goat in the wool or yeah. the, yeah, that kid's book. Yeah. Um, you know, Hannah's a great writer, right? Yeah. 
So I brought that book and I said, Hannah, check this out. Wouldn't this be cool if we had a kid's book about Salish weaving like this? And Ooh. immediately she got it like she got it. <laughs> cool. I knew she'd get it too, right? Because she's, she's like that. So she came back then the following Saturday and had some outline and pencil drawings. And, you know, I Ooh. love that. Yeah. I just love that. I just, I, I absolutely think we need to have like a kid's book and a kid's curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, like a like a K through six curriculum, like a high school curriculum, and then you know like a master's level curriculum. Yeah, and you can definitely pull in stream. So what is that? Science, technology, reading, engineering, arts, and math, mm-hmm. and have that through the weaving curriculum. And 100%. you can. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. And, you know, I was just watching the news this morning about how school right now is go- they're going outdoors. They're putting up tents all over the <laughs> United States and going outdoors. I'm like, come on, come on, you guys, what you need to do is everyone needs to weave and you need to figure out yeah. <laughs> this amazing curriculum that you could teach mm-hmm. stream with wool weaving yep. or whatever weaving you got over mm-hmm. in your area, you know? So anyway, that was very exciting. And then another one of the 12, um, Danita is looking for a capstone project for her evergreen experience. And so I think she's looking at doing uh, uh, dyeing, like some kind of a dye project for that capstone. Yeah, very cool. Very, Mm. very, very cool. So, and then of course, Roxanne, you know, Roxanne's amazing. (laughs) So yeah, and she's spinning up and... Um, you know, of course she came, this is, she's in both the cohorts. That's the same time, mm-hmm. right? Cause she was in the yeah. first cohort. Now she's in the second cohort. And I can tell that there's some in the cohort, this cohort are like, how come she's so good at spinning? I'm like, well, okay. You want to tell them Roxanne? Because <laughs> I've been spinning for hours and 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 hours to get this good. <laughs> I remember when we were blending, she's very, very neat in her art, you know, yeah. uh, the art that she likes is particular, right? Her little bead boxes and things. Yeah. And she, yeah. um, when she was doing her blending, she would re-blend and re-blend and mm-hmm. get all the lumps out. And, yeah. um, but she's willing to take risks. And mm-hmm. I think as you become an artist in most, probably anything is like, you're confined to the rules at the beginning, maybe, or maybe you started totally without rules and you're just winging it. But in general, I think you probably start with some fundamental rules of you know, style and then think like, Oh yeah, I can do it that way too. Like overstitch a pattern. Um, Are you making anything right now? (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, I lament on that because I've been so busy, right? Teaching. Okay, well, what do you have warped up? Because you probably have something warped, not done. Well, sure, I have something warped, but that's all I got on there is warped. Just (laughs) warped. There's nothing else on it. (laughs) And then I do have a a little twined weaving that I was trying to finish up. It's off the loom, so I'm just tucking the ends in. Oh, that's good. And I was gonna. I I was thinking to make a like a bag series, a series of little handbags mm-hmm. um that would actually show the various weave styles you know like um 
Great idea. Twined projects. And because one of the other things I did during, I, I told you, during the pandemic is, especially during earlier on, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on how to make, <laughs> I told you about this, mm-hmm. uh, lined zipper bags. <laughs> and so then I got to making, because I wanted to practice that because I wanted to then make my own lined zipper bags for these cute little weavings I was making. So, so yeah, you asked me if I got anything on the loom. Well, yeah, but that warp that's been on the loom has been there for, you know, since before the pandemic hit. So I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I, I've committed to finishing things that are on the looms. Like yeah, one thing that was going to be a shawl is now a bag, but mm-hmm. I have to do the, you know, but there's just, I started a project to give away for thank you and haven't given it yet. And it's like, now it's becoming like too late to say thank you. No, (laughs) No. you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So, yes, but it's cool because I like using the dyed yarn just randomly. Mm. Um, And I was able to, I'm going to show you because I'm working. Yeah. I was going to say, let me see what you're working on. That's one side. Yeah. It's yellow, uh, the yellow ombre, like um, we did it at the mushroom class. Okay, yeah. So it's like, I, I don't remember what mushrooms they were now because I think this is one that we dipped like one end in one jar and the other yeah. end. And then this side of it is opposite. It's like. Oh, right. Right. But So can you describe what you just showed me? On, so it's um, a, yeah. It's a twilled, so I'm making, I don't know, it's a twill, it's going to be a little handbag or like a rattle bag. And I want it to attach like to a belt or a wristlet so people can, you know, hands-free kind of thing. Uh-huh. But the yarn that I have is multicolored and like a light pale yellow to like a olive green-ish. Mm-hmm. And so I was just having trouble like seeing it with other colors or I don't know. I just didn't know how it would weave up. Mm-hmm. So I put it with white yarn and it seems to brighten up the yellow in it. And mm. my babysitter, that's, I'm making it for her and she loves yellow. And so, Sweet. but I love knowing that this yarn came from like the classes we, we took. Right. Right. And yeah. by the way, I totally together. want to go take a class. I mean, I was thinking, no. I reminisce about that weekend a lot because it was such the, the place we stayed was so great uh-huh. and we both got to get away from our lives uh-huh. and go have some fun in some other city and mm-hmm. go learn something and not be teachers ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. I actually, with great fondness, think about that. And, think, and we, we go- met. At, you know, at least two people mm-hmm. that are still in our lives. Okay, but back to your weaving, I actually was a little bit curious. So you actually are weaving on both sides of that loom. So you're weaving up with the ends at the bottom. Yeah. Yes. So what will you do? So, okay. So I did that. <laughs> so I did that because the third bar is on the bottom here. And yeah. I want the, I want the top of the bag to have the little eyelet loops from my third bar. Uh-huh. So... When I, so I, oh, so it's going to be, be that, but you have it both no, sides. I'm just going to cut the, I'm going to cut it off oh, and then I'll have the, long fringe. From in the, the middle, you're going to cut yeah. it. Yeah. That's how I, well, 
it's a, you know, it's an experiment. I don't do big things this way because you have to match both sides really evenly. And, um, but when they're back to back on the loom, it's fairly easy to measure against itself. And, um, I've been able to make it work before. And this, this was started in a, on my lap in the front seat of the car on the way to bringing my kid to college. So <laughs> fantastic. I intended to finish it, but my duties on the road didn't let me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone told you yet, but I named a technique after you. I called it the Kelly Sullivan. Oh no. <laughs> I'm afraid to know. <laughs> what is it? So last Saturday at the class at Evergreen, um, somebody was trying to use, so, you know, they, they did the whole thing, right? They, they made their own yarn. They, they come, they process their yarn. They spun their yarn. They dyed their yarn and not everyone got to all the pieces of it. And so some people had two ply and some people had single ply. Mm, so oh, they like oh. didn't get around to plying their yarn, but, and, and they're beginner weavers. And so they wanted to, you know, use the pretty, like the plied yarn with the singles and it would, wouldn't quite work that way. Right. You can't, it, mm-hmm. not for what, if for a plain 12, you couldn't really combine them on the right. board. It, and so I said, Oh, you know what? Let's just do a Kelly Sullivan. And <laughs> oh no. You just take two yarns and put them together and treat them as one. I, you know who I learned this from? I learned this from Kelly Sullivan. So now we're just going to call it the Kelly Sullivan technique. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Forevermore, <laughs> Kelly, you've got a technique named after the, you. The lazy man's uh, twi- or ply. <laughs> but I said it looks the same. It, it looks does. Like, it comes off the loom. It looks fine. You're good. Unless somebody 100 years from now takes it under the microscope because they wanted to study the weavings from this era. They'll be like, oh, wow, look at what this. This wasn't, what, yeah. And then they'll have a whole, they'll write whole dissertations about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's what I was talking about when, you know, I was saying like even the freedom to make those kind of choices because. Yes. I would have never, and plus, besides that, I would have never wanted to show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, breaking a rule and, you know, like, oh, it does, it does work because the quality of the weaving's still there and the, you know, it still holds up. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, talking about combining techniques, the late one, the late elder who passed away at Lemmy earlier this year, mm-hmm. uh, he would crochet the sides of his weavings. Yeah. And I just thought I would, I think now, right now that I, I feel like I can experiment or try different things, I think I would try to do that or check out maybe how that would work or maybe bind off one of my robes with a crocheted border. I think I might because I know how to crochet and I know how to knit and I know how to weave and why not? You know, I mean, as long as if you're trying to teach it or you want to explain it to someone, then you just tell them, okay, well, this is how you do this part. And this is borrowed from something else. And I would say that is one of the things he did, you know, as we were conceptualizing the, 
mission statement for the Wool Weaving Center, we did seek out his advice and his. And the thing he said unequivocally was to keep it, keep the teachings intact. So as we move forward and we keep those teachings intact, if we diverge from there, then we let folks know, okay, this mm-hmm. is, a, this is, you know, new. This is as of the 21st century. This is yeah. something we brought into it, but it wasn't necessarily like that's hand cards. There were no hand cards back then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're using hand cards back then. So, and you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm more secure and feel more confident in who I am that I'm like, yeah, we're just going to, I'm going to use hand cards. And okay. if along the way creator has it in my heart and my heart's in the right place that, you know, maybe I, we discover how we could have done this differently or how they would have done it back then, then I'm open to that teaching. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. New, new things, new ways of doing things and bringing in other kinds of things like the crocheted borders. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, on some of those old blankets that we saw up at MOA pre-1850s, those were braided. That, that was kind yeah. of a, that was a braiding technique along the borders of some of those. And I cannot even imagine that some of the basket weaving techniques weren't brought into the weaving techniques because that, you know, if you're a basket maker, you absolutely know how to finish off some of those ends. Like that would be a basket ending. And so you now are ending it that similar way on a woven uh, wool weaving. Well, I think um, maybe, maybe we could, you know, think about the next year or so and where our energy is going because it was going to be an implementing curriculum and our timelines have had to adapt. So like hiring a curriculum writer and things like that, maybe that will start emerging to the forefront more. I don't know where the next year as far as weaving goes will take us if it doesn't go that way since we can't really do in-person classes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Next steps, even with the pandemic, we still want to build an actual center because right now it's just a room with a bunch of stuff sitting in it, meaning we could teach out of that center. Um, yes. So I, we still have that sitting around there. I think also that with regard to the curriculum, it would be really great to, as we move forward, you know, to get together with a chemist and flush out dyeing better Mm -hmm. and get with a physicist and flush out spinning better and, you know, get with a biologist and flush out the materials, the indigenous protein and plant fibers that were used. Mm-hmm. And get with a geometry teacher and geom- mm-hmm. right. person who does geometry and actually talk about what these shapes are from a geometry perspective and how they all inter- mm-hmm. interlock with each other. Um, and I think with regard to a curriculum, that's how we could flesh out a curriculum for K-6, college, and then, you know, like a master's opportunity, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, I, I it, it, it is a little odd to plan for the future because we don't we just don't know right we just mm-hmm. don't have a very good sense because everything that was supposed to happen this whole last year is not happening none of the gatherings none of the speaking engagements none of the teaching thing at evergreen happened but that was through seemed like a monumental effort there and it was already <laughs> in motion yeah 
Yeah. And offered publicly. And right. Yeah. And well, maybe we I, just turn towards they, residencies <laughs> and we'd go inward and just have to have retreats all year. Yeah. Just retreat it up. <laughs> yeah. It always helps me. It really does help me when I see you, Susan, and talk with you and um, uh, absorb the good things that you have to offer me. But so it, I, I really enjoyed talking today and I think it's given me ideas and I know it'll keep me thinking and keep this topic on my heart for a while and we'll come away with some good ideas to hash out when we see each other. Yes. Right. Yeah. I really do. Uh, I think that our relationship really embodies the one plus one equals three. And it's been so totally fantastic to, to be in your space and share together because I feel like we're like a whirlwind upwards, (laughs) you know, and the energy just keeps spinning us together and lifting us higher and higher. And, and I absolutely adore and love that. And, and, and everyone benefits off of that, mm-hmm. right? Every, everyone benefits off of our synergistic relationship. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I love you. you. I love you too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Kelly and Susan for taking us into their backyards and into their Uh, hearts and minds. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Stay tuned. Um, This season, we're going to be bringing you more conversations from some of our Northwest Heritage artists, and we'll be giving you a taste of some of the projects that they are involved in. So look out for those. And we look forward to bringing you into conversation with more artists and the ways that they are operating and thinking in these times. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, Program Manager for Artist Residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's Executive Director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our Executive Producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives, and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020, Centrum Foundation.